going to be. And I'll just forewarn you, this is not a politically correct message. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of the truth we share from the Scripture isn't. And I believe it's a truth that we need to hear uh, in the day that we're living in today. The last time I preached from this text of Scripture, I preached it from the Supreme Court, the old Supreme Court, uh, in the Colorado State Assembly, in the Colorado State House. And uh, somebody, when I opened the text of Leviticus chapter 18, said, somebody told me, you must be crazy uh, to preach from this text in the Colorado State House. Um, But I tell you, the truth of God's word, I'm glad it doesn't change. I'm glad it's still relevant to the issues that we're facing today. And I'm excited to be able to open this passage of scripture and give us some direction as a church. And uh, part of me thought, well, Um, I'm sure that there's probably some people that won't like this message being preached in church. But then again, I thought they don't want us to be in church anyways in the first place. And so why not go ahead and preach what the Bible says while we're here? And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. And God has led me to preach today from this text of Scripture on this subject, why morality still matters. It still matters. And I want to show you why from the Scriptures Morality is defined as the principles that distinguish right from wrong. It's a simple definition of morality. The principles that distinguish right from wrong. And so we can conclude that our morals are shaped then by how we come to determine what is right and what is wrong. And I've often gone back to this illustration when I think about this. How many of you like to still read the cartoons in the newspaper, huh? All right. There's a guilty few here, okay? Well, an old Lucy cartoon, old Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon, Lucy stood up one day and uh, boldly to declare, and all you see is her uh, saying this statement in the picture of the cartoon, but she stood up one day to boldly declare, if you can't be wrong, uh, or if you can't be right, then be wrong at the top of your voice. That's very, um, uh, very uh, emblematic of uh, Lucy in the cartoon there. But I read that cartoon, which was written years ago, and it reminds me of the society we're living in today. If you can't be right, then be wrong at the top of your voice. Enter in all the rioting we're seeing today. Enter in all the banter that's happening on social media, on news outlets today. We see a lot of this taking place in the world that we're living in and in the America that we're living in today. And and many seem to believe that if they shout their agenda loud enough and long enough, then eventually everyone else will accept it and believe it. There are many examples of this I'm going to give you today. But it was three years ago, four years ago. Uh, it 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 was over four years ago now. It was before... Uh, the election took place that the uh, uh, Supreme Court of the United States of America approved gay marriage. It's hard to believe it's been that long now. After that took place, there was a man who was upset. And he rallied a bunch of other people to go to the Washington Capitol because he said, why do the homosexual individuals get to freely express their love now and I don't get to freely express my love? You say, what was it that he loved? His dog. You say, intimately? Yes, intimately. Well, that's weird. (laughs) But the point is, our society seems to think that our morals should be determined by whatever we feel should be right for us. And this is causing a problem in our world today. But would it surprise you if I were to tell you this morning that we as humanity don't have the final say as to what is right and what is wrong? It shouldn't surprise us as the people of God, but it certainly is a surprising subject for many people to consider. You see, God has recorded for us in His Word, His truth concerning the principles that ought to shape our morality as humanity. And the truths that God gives to us here in His Word are not mere guidelines, they are the law of God. And they are principles, as such, being the law of God, that cannot be altered no matter how loud you want to shout against them. This truth is always going to be truth. By the way, the only way you can try to change the truth is by by, by retranslating it. 
That's why the watering down of Scripture and the new translations of the Bible is an epidemic that I don't believe most Christians understand. They tell you it's to help you understand the Bible better. What is really happening is that they're changing truth and they're changing doctrine. And it is happening um, right under our noses as believers. Can I tell you there is only one thing, one thing in this world that can truly set people free. It is truth. Jesus said, and I'll read this for you, John chapter 8 and verse 32. He said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So many people in our society today, in our world today, are unknowingly living in bondage. You know why? They don't have the truth. Or they're living in purposed ignorance of the truth. They're ignorant of the truth that God has revealed to us in, their wor- in, in his word. And as a result of it, they have become enslaved by the ever-changing culture of our society. And I am not so um, ignorant to acknowledge that some of us may be very well um, participating in some of this ignorance as well with all of the things that are going on in our society today. And so isn't it time that we start allowing God's word to be the barometer of our morality? Isn't it time we allow God's word to be the thing that tells us what's right and wrong? I believe that it is. And I hope that this message will be a challenge for us in this area. And so I want us to take a a look at the truth of the Bible concerning this matter of morality. And I want you to notice with me this morning four important aspects of biblical morality. Four important aspects of biblical morality. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice with me the sovereign over morality. The sovereign over morality. Let me ask you a question. Who has the right to tell us what is right and wrong? Well, some would say it's the Supreme Court. Is it the Supreme Court? Is it the President? Is it the CDC? Who knows right and wrong? All throughout our history and throughout the history of the world, government has often been wrong in the stand that they have taken. We as human beings are often wrong in the stand that we take. And in our society today, it's it's common for us to hear reports by pollsters, especially concerning moral issues. And this is something I like to keep track of. I'm a statistics type of guy. Some of you guys might not like statistics. I do like them. I was looking more into this recently. And back in 2001, after 9-11 happened, the Gallup Organization began a value and beliefs poll in America. And in this poll, Americans are asked to rate whether different practices are morally acceptable or morally wrong. And in this poll, issues such as abortion, divorce, uh, premarital sex, homosexuality, pornography, polygamy, euthanasia, are rapidly becoming more acceptable issues in America. To date... As of what I read most recently, they can, the Gallup organization has made this conclusion, and I quote, they've said, over time, no issues show movement toward conservative positions. None of these issues on a societal scale show movement towards conservative positions. Now, this should be no surprise to us as the people of God. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, it says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And boy, the Bible told us a long time ago that this was going to begin to happen in the end time society that we find ourselves living in today. But I have to say to you this morning that regardless, regardless of what popular opinion is, our principles of morality shouldn't be determined by what is acceptable in our society. We must be grounded upon something that has far more authority than what everybody else thinks is right. 
Because I'm going to tell you something. What they say is right today will, will be unacceptable 10 to 15 to 20 years from now. This is acceptable today. It won't be acceptable then. We see issues like this happening all the time in our current society. Things that a, a politician used to stand up 20, 30 years ago and say, this is okay. They're changing their mind and saying, that's no longer okay. Now this is okay. Why? Why, why all this shifting? Because their morality is not based on something that is steadfast. This is why the truth of God's word is so important for us. And I tell you this, it's a dangerous place when a society gets to the place where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. You do what you want, that's good for you, I'll do what I want. What happens when we start killing each other? Well, we're already there. An abortion. And it's become an epidemic of greater proportions than this pandemic is. We need to understand this. If we get to the place in society where everybody gets to determine for themselves what they think is right, we're going to be in a dangerous place indeed. And so I turn your attention here to Leviticus chapter 18 now. Because in Leviticus chapter 18, as we begin to read in this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice a repeated phrase to the first five verses of this chapter. If you're with me, say amen. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, read the next phrase with me, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, you shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, you shall not do, neither shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. And let's read together, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. Read it again. I am the Lord. Three times the Lord found it necessary to remind Israel, I'm in charge. I'm telling you these things, not because this is what I really want you to do. Because I am God. I'm in charge. God is the sovereign over the universe. If there's anyone who has the authority to tell us this is right and this is wrong, it is God. He is the author of morality. He is the creator of good and evil. He is the one that gets to tell us what is right and what is wrong. The Bible makes that very clear for us. And so the laws of morality that are given to us here in the scripture are not just some outdated ideas of a nomadic tribe in the distant past, but they are the very precepts of our sovereign God. And our authority for morality is none other than God and his word. We need to remember that as the people of God in the midst of a society that seems to have forgotten it. Now there are those in our society who want to try to claim today, well, I was born a homosexual. Well, I'm a little, I, I'm, I'm a man, but I was born to be a woman. Can I tell you something? That couldn't be farther from the truth. Our sovereign, perfect, wonderful God made each one of us individually with beauty and significance. And he didn't mess up when he made you. If he made you a man, he made you to be a man. If he made you a woman, he made you to be a woman. Now that's the truth of the Bible. I know that's not acceptable talk in our day and time, but it's still what the Bible says. God is the one who gets to make these types of calls. And he didn't mess up when he made any one of us. Deep down, whether we want to accept it or not, we know in our hearts there is a right and there was a wrong, and God is the one who gets to determine what it is. Otherwise, if there was no God, there would be no right and wrong. If there's no moral lawgiver, then there can't be any moral law. Right and wrong, the fact that they exist, are a reminder of the fact that our God exists. And the fact that God exists turns us to the unescapable reality that we are obligated to live under his system for how this world is supposed to be governed. 
He has written his law on our consciences, Romans 2.14 says. It's an undeniable fact. These things are ingrained. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Something our founding fathers said. And this is one of those self-evident facts in our world. And so how foolish it would be to tell the one who made us and who knows us better than ourselves that he, did, that he messed up when he did it. How foolish would it be? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, Nay, but O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why have you made me thus? Who are you to put your finger up into the face of a holy God, a perfect God, who, who made you wonderfully? I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist said. Who are you to point your finger at a holy God and tell him that he messed up when he made you? He didn't. He made you for a purpose. He made you with significance and he made you just the way you are for a purpose. It's significant we understand God's authority when it comes to our morals. So the first truth we see in this chapter of Scripture is the uh, sovereign of morality. The second truth I want you to write down in your notes is this. The satisfaction of morality. The satisfaction of morality. You see, God is our authority in this matter of morality. There's no doubt about that. And because He is our authority in this matter, He expects for us to live according to the principles that He has given us in His Word. God has given us a book his word to help us understand how he made this world and how it is supposed to function. And he did a pretty good job of it, I would say. His perfect, holy, inspired word is exactly what we need and it's still relevant to every issue we face in society today. There's nothing new under the sun. God gave us exactly what we need to face the moral issues that we are going through today. And here in Leviticus chapter 18 we find that there's a very important phrase that God gives us that sheds some light on the importance of observing God's code of morality. Look at verse number 5 in your Bible. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 5, the Bible says this, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, read the last part of the verse with me, which if a man do, he shall live in them, I am the Lord. Here is an important phrase. It's a phrase that's often repeated time and again throughout the scripture. In Ezekiel chapter number 20 and verse 11, the Bible says, And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Goes on to say in verse 13, But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes, and they despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Now, what is God trying to tell us through this passage of Scripture? These laws, he said, if a man does them, he will live in them. What is that communicating to us? He's emphasizing a simple fact here. And I quote, the man who can live by the law of God will live forever with God. Now, don't mistake where I'm going with this. Because I'm going to bring the gospel into this equation in a minute. But hang with me for a second. What the Bible is saying here is that the man who can live by the law of God will live forever with God. In other words, if you keep all the law, you'll stand as righteous before God. But that presents a very real problem to you and I. Because we can't keep the law. The Bible is very clear in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned. We've all transgressed God's law. And because of our sin, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. What we deserve is not to live, but to die, because we are not perfect keepers of the law. I don't care how good you think you are today. The book of James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, if you, can, uh, if, you, uh, if you keep the whole law and yet you offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. If you did everything right your whole life and did one thing wrong, you'd still be guilty before God of transgressing God's law. And so this presents a very real problem for us. The man that does what the law says is going to live, but the man that doesn't do it is going to die. That's why the law gave false hope from the beginning. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 10, he said, in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found it to be unto death. This was supposed to save me. The thing that I thought I was supposed to keep to save myself is the very thing that I found in trying to keep it that killed me, that condemned me to death. See, the law cannot produce life. The only thing the law 
can produce in your life and mine is death. The law cannot save us from our sin. The law can only condemn us for our sin. That's what the Bible makes very clear to us. And so here's the question. What good is morality then? <laughs> Why am I preaching on this subject? What good does uh, these, the, the moral code that God has given us in his word do for us? All it does is make us feel bad. I'll tell you, God told us in the New Testament why he gave us his law. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. We're coming back to Leviticus 18, but turn over to Galatians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'll make this statement. Morality is the tool or the teacher God uses to help us understand our need to be saved. This is what the Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 22. But the scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. God's moral law convinces us of our sin, and of our desperate need for Jesus to save us. The fact that God has said, don't do certain things, and we do it, condemns us. And it brings us face to face with the reality that we're not good enough, and we need someone who is good enough to save us. God always intended for his law to be a teacher, to teach us of our need for Jesus Christ to save us. That's what the Bible communicates to us here. And so the guilt the law brings to our hearts, it turns us in desperation to our need for the grace of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and, not, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by God's grace we are saved, not by our law keeping, and thank God for that. The Bible goes on in Ephesians 2 to say, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that you should walk in them. Here's the beautiful part of the gospel. The law, the system of morality God has ingrained into this world, it convinces us of our sin and of our need for Jesus. And we can choose to reject that truth and say, No, I don't want to feel bad. I, I want to be able to do it on my own. We can choose to reject that truth or we can choose to accept that truth. And turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And here's the beautiful thing. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're created new in Christ Jesus. He puts His Spirit into your heart. And the Bible says we're then His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Before you get saved, you can't keep the law. And the fact you can't keep the law drives you to your need to trust Jesus as your Savior. After you get saved, Jesus comes into your heart his spirit comes into your life and he enables you to do what you never could do before. Keep God's word. Now you're not doing it of your own self because in yourself you're not sufficient. But now you've got the power of God inside of you enable you to live the life God always intended you to live. That's why Jesus said in the book of John, I have come so that you can have life and so that you can have it more abundantly. This is the pathway to true satisfaction. And the only way the system of morality that God has put in this world is ever going to be satisfied is through you putting your faith in Jesus Christ who is the satisfactory payment for God's law that condemns you. That's the only way to satisfy God's righteous demands. Now, before we move on from this subject, let me just say, while keeping God's law, as we've just seen, while keeping God's law cannot save you from your sin, still, there has never been a person who has walked this earth that has found any true satisfaction in life outside of the boundaries of morality that God has set. Whether it's a lost person or a saved person, if I'm a saved person and I'm living in wickedness, I'm not happy there. If I'm a lost person living in wickedness, I'm not happy there. 
There's no person that's found true satisfaction in this life living outside the boundaries that God has set in this world. And so we must remember that God's laws of morality are designed to lead us to the true path of satisfaction, not to keep us from it. That's so what the Bible says in Psalm 128, in verse number 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, and that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like all the plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord." See, we, as humanity, think about this truth oppositely. We think that rules, regulations, are a bad thing. When it comes to God, they're a blessed thing, the Bible teaches us. When I was a kid, my parents had rules for us. One of those rules that I often go back to in my mind was that they had boundaries for where we could play at. In the front yard, there was a certain uh, line we couldn't cross because we lived on a very busy highway. I mean, we lived at the top of a hill, and people were coming back and forth across that all the time. Mom and Dad didn't want us to get close to the road. And so we usually played in the backyard. But there was also a boundary in the backyard when we were really little. See, the back part of our property, there was no fence there. But when you came to the back part of our property, there was a steep hill that dropped straight off into the White River. Why they let us play back there, I have no clue. (laughs) Because they set the rule. Don't go across that line. And there are reasons why they set those boundaries. They set those boundaries because they hated us. Because they didn't want us to have any fun. No, in fact, they wanted us to have fun inside the boundaries they set. Because if we're playing out in the road, we're going to die. If we play and go past that boundary in the backyard, we're going to fall down into a white river. And that's no good. That's not fun. Whether or not we understood those rules when we were kids, and as many times as we wanted to cross those boundaries, and even did cross those boundaries sometimes and got in trouble for it, they set those boundaries for a reason, to protect us, to give us a place to truly be able to enjoy life. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father has set boundaries for us as His children. He knows that what lies outside the boundaries he has set will harm us. And so he's made these boundaries to protect us for our own good and for his glory. And inside of the boundaries he has set for us, we can find a place of peace and a place of being in the place that God wants us to be. That's where true satisfaction is to be found. Now, Alexis de Tocqueville a prominent French historian writer in the early days of American history, he made this statement. He said, liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. Let me read that again. He said, liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. And I say to you this morning, until you come to faith in Jesus, you will never be capable of living a moral life. Liberty cannot be established without morality. In order for you to truly live a life that is free, you are going to have to come face to face with the truth of Jesus Christ and accept your fallen state and your desperate need for Jesus as your Savior. That's what, that's, that, that's what, that's what he's talking about here and it's what we've been learning about. And then after you come to faith in Christ... You then must make the decision to, by faith, choose to live within the boundaries that God has set. You will never in this lifetime be set free from the cycle of the brutality and bondage of sin. That's why there are many saved people who are still bound to their sin. Because they haven't understood, even after trusting Christ, my following the law and doing what God has told me to do in his word does not save me, but God has given me these principles in, this word, in his word so that I can live a satisfying life while I walk through this world. See, God knows some things that sometimes we don't want to accept. That's what the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid, he says. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? There's some saved people that say, well, since I'm saved now, I'm forgiven of all my sins so I can live however I want. 
So they take something like alcohol. It's not going to make me now go to heaven. I don't have to do this to be accepted by God. I can do it if I want to do it. They do it. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, the Bible says. And so often those people who allow something like alcohol or immorality, even as believers, to control their life, they come in bondage to it. And that bottle controls their life. Those immoral relationships, the consequences of them, define the rest of their lives. There are consequences to sin. And it is possible for you to face those consequences as a believer in this lifetime and still not be condemned when you go to heaven because you put your faith in Christ. But friend, God has given us these boundaries for a reason. And the only way, eternally speaking, those boundaries, are, are God's, God's system of morality can be satisfied is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. But as you walk through this earth, those morals that God has set in this world are still important because God's put up those boundaries for a reason. It's for your good. You step outside the boundaries, you better be ready for the consequences. You live a life of sin, you, you're not going to be able to control what the consequences will be. And so God has given us these things for a very important reason. And let me say this very quickly before we move on. There's a common idea running about in our society today that America will be saved by our politics. Now you laugh about that. It's called moralism. Do you think that America will be saved if we win on the issue of abortion? No. America will still go to hell in a handbasket. There is only one thing that can save America. There is only one thing that can save a soul. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do not find my hope in a politician. I do not find my hope in all the issues of morality getting back to where I think they should be or even where the Bible says they should be. Because we as humanity will always try to take it back to a place where it shouldn't be. If there's anything history has proven, it is that fact right there. And the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't stake your life on standing up for these moral issues exclusively. I see people who will go to a patriotic rally and they'll go do all of these things, but they won't even come to church. As if riding down a street in a car with a flag hanging out of your car. Now, if you do that, that's fine. I'm, I'm all for you. Go ahead and do it. But why don't, you, why don't you emphasize something that actually is going to make a difference in this world? It is not riding down the street with a flag hanging out of your car. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what can save America. Am I for voting? Am I for being patriotic and standing up for what is right? You better believe it. But not to the exclusion of the solution. We have to understand this as believers. If anyone should understand this, it is us who should understand this as believers in Jesus Christ. And so we see, number one, the sovereign of morality. We see, number two, the satisfaction of morality. But I want you to see this third thing here this morning, and that is the stipulations of morality. If you're still with me, say amen. This is not popular preaching. I know that, okay? It's about to get even more unpopular, okay? Let's talk about the stipulations. Now, before I get into this, let me just start by saying this. All of us have principles of morality to some degree. Take a subject like um, alcohol. Some people would draw the line over here and say, well, I believe that you shouldn't touch it. I believe you shouldn't drink a drop. I believe that the Bible says that wine's a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I believe fools, it, it takes a fool to drink. Now, obviously, that's where I stand, okay? Some of us draw the line right there. Some of us would draw the line here and say, well, I don't believe you should drink to get drunk. It's okay to have a drink every once in a while. And other people would draw the line over here and say, there's nothing wrong with drinking. I can drink whatever I want, whenever my, however much I want. Here's the thing. Where your morality lies 
can be seen in where you draw the line. All of us have morals. All of us have standards. All of us believe there should be a line somewhere. Our morals are revealed in where we draw the line. And take any issue, where you draw the line tells you what your system of morality is. The thing that we ought to do as believers is take our lines and make them in line with what God's word says. Now don't miss, don't miss this part here. Here's the thing. When we each individually determine where to draw our line, it becomes a serious issue indeed. When you say you could draw it over there and I say it needs to be drawn over here, when all of us get to decide for ourselves where these lines are supposed to be drawn, not on preferential issues, mind you, but on essential issues, issues that impact society. When we each get to decide where we think the line should be drawn, it causes havoc in a nation, in a society. Now, I have a video. I've showed this video before, but I love this video because I don't think there's a better illustration of this truth. Can we play that video now? Where we draw the line determines our morality. But here's the danger. When we allow our culture to establish where we draw our lines, it will eventually lead us down a pathway to our own destruction. Some of you that are older than I, I won't say how much older, but older than I, you remember a day when take the subject of marriage, the line was drawn back here. And you have watched over the decades the line continue to move. Continue to move so far now to where in the state of California, in some cities, it is legal to marry your dog if you want to. We belittled the institution of marriage so much. Do you see how the lines continue to be pushed? And it's funny, they're never pushed to the right. They're always pushed to the left. Because that is our nature as humanity. And as we continue to accept, and I see churches doing it all the time, whatever, wherever the new line's drawn, churches step up and say, well, this is what we need to accept. And so long as we as the church continue to go along with society, we are putting ourselves on a pathway toward destruction. So if we're going to have the morality the Bible teaches us we ought to hold to, there has to be something that we stand with that doesn't move. There has to be a line that's drawn that we don't cross. Who gets to draw the line? It's God. Because God is a God who said, I don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by the way, the way he feels about these things we're going to talk about in the scripture. Hey, the way he feels about these things, he still hasn't changed his mind about it. And neither should we as the people of God. Understand the danger in allowing these lines to be moved the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And many of the things, many of the things that our society views as acceptable today would not have been fathomable 50 to 60 to 70 years ago. And some of you in this room are the greatest testaments to that truth right there. Because you're as appalled as I am about some of the things we see happening in our day and time and in the shifting sands of our culture, we need the Word of God, our cornerstone that we sang about a moment ago, to give us stability as lines continue to be pushed toward the left. We need the Word of God to give us some stability. Now in Leviticus chapter 18, we're almost out of time, so I'm not going to park on any of these issues. But let me just show you some of the lines God drew here very quickly. In verse number 6, if you're still with me, say amen. The Bible says, none of you shall approach to any that is near kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. God, God addresses this subject of incest. He said, don't do it. It's a line that's being pushed in our day. Verse 20. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. I don't care how acceptable Hollywood makes it today. Adultery is always going to be wrong. Always. There are serious consequences for it too. Read Proverbs chapter 6. 
verses 32 and 33, your reproach will not be wiped away. No fun. No fun. God said, stay over where I've told you to stay. Be a lot happier there. Incest is forbidden. Adultery is forbidden. Hey, sexual idolatry is forbidden. Look at verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. Now here, the Bible hits on a lot of pervasive issues in our day and time. The sexual idolatry, letting your seed pass through the fire to Molech. And we might not worship Molech uh, as an idol here, here in America in our day and time. But let me tell you something. Pornography is an epidemic unlike any other in our day and time. There are many who spend hours, hours, in worshiping the image of another person's body sinfully. By the way, the Bible says don't let your seed pass to Moloch there's another form of sexual idolatry that most people don't see this way. But there are many people who are immoral in their lifestyle and then to convenience themselves, they kill the consequence, what they view as the consequence of their immorality through abortion. That is no different than the Old Testament when they used to sacrifice their children to the gods. What is worse about it is that for many people, they are sacrificing their own children to the God of themselves for the sake of convenience. It's forbidden. Verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Yes, homosexuality is forbidden. Yes, that is not culturally acceptable. And yes, the New Testament tells us the same thing. You read Romans chapter 1. You read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you'll see the same thing in the New Testament. Right is always going to be right. And wrong is going to always be wrong. No matter how loud the opposite party may try to shout different. Verse 23. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. It seems ludicrous. It seems ridiculous. I read this when I was a kid. I read through the Bible the first time when I was a kid, and I read that, and I thought, ew. <laughs> what in the world? Why is that in there? Duh. I mean, everybody knows that. But even this issue is becoming a problem in our day and time. So much so that, like I said, in San Francisco, it's legal for you to go marry your animal if that's what you want to do. It's ridiculous. That's why it's important that we draw the lines the same place where God has church. And if there's anyone who should stand for God's truth in the midst of a culture that is ever trying to draw these lines to the left, it ought to be the church. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. Jesus said you're to be the salt of the earth. You know what salt does? Salt seasons, but salt does something else. It preserves. The church is to be the preservative force of truth in a world that is continually wanting to rot. And we need to continue to stand for these truths, no matter how unpopular they become in this day that we're living in. Now, we don't have time to go there, but Romans chapter 1, if you read Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks there about the progression of how a society comes to a place where, it, where, where these types of things that are just ingrained moral truths that God put into this world where these types of things begin to be compromised. And it describes a society where people come to a place where they not only accept these things as okay, but they're happy for people that accept these things that they're okay. That's what Romans chapter 1 tells us about. And friend, we're on a fast track to getting to that place. Unless we as a church preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand for the truth. So why are you preaching a message like this, Pastor? Because it's important that we understand these truths because these truths ought to impact how we're teaching our children. These truths have, ought to impact how we're going to the voting booth. These truths ought to impact every aspect of our life. And so I told you, number one, there is the sovereign of morality. God's the one who gets to say what's right and wrong. I told you, number two, the satisfaction of morality. Our satisfaction is found with living in the boundaries that God has set. 
Number three, we looked at the stipulations of morality. Those stipulations God has out for, outlined for us that ought to shape our morals. And the last truth I want us to see before we're done, and I'll be quick with this, is the significance of ignoring morality. If you're taking notes, write that down, number four. The significance of ignoring morality. Look at the end of Deuteronomy 18, and we'll be done. Verse number 24. The Bible says, Defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. It goes on to say that the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations. It goes on to say in verse 28, that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. I have often said this, sinful living not only pollutes a life, but it pollutes a land. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. It says, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we would do well to remember this truth in this time that we're living in today. Abraham Lincoln, he once made this statement. He said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves from within. And we are watching that take place in the day that we're living in today. The America we live in today is not the God-fearing land that it once was. We are rapidly becoming what President Obama proclaimed when he began his first presidency, a post-Christian society. We're no longer living by the morality upon which we were established. And if we continue to allow the lines to be drawn and torn to the left, it will be to our own destruction. It will be to our own destruction. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And while we, mil we still may say our national motto is in God we trust, and while we might still say in our Pledge of Allegiance that we are under God, they are blank words. They are empty words if we look at the practice of what's going on in our society today. We begin to ignore God. His word, His system of morality his truth, and his son. And here's what is most frightening about this. Ravi Zacharias, I was listening to him talk about this recently. He talked about the progression of what has happened in America in recent years. And I don't have time to, to, to thoroughly cover this, so let me make sure that I say it to you properly here. He talked about how our society over the last 60 years has begun to become secularized. And the secularization of our society has led us to a place where there is no shame. It began in the 60s. You're free to do whatever you want. No shame. That secularization gave way then to pluralization. Everything was beginning pluralized. There's no absolute truth. What's true for you is fine as long as you don't care what's, what's true for me. This pluralization began to happen, and the pluralization became, did something to our society that was even more dangerous. Secularization led to no shame. Pluralization has led to no reason. Now, you try to talk to people about right and wrong, and you can't even reason with them. Well, this is what the Bible says. I don't believe the Bible. Really? You can't even reason with people about right and wrong anymore. You can't even talk to a person about, hey, you know, you really shouldn't be trying to marry your dog. That's, that's, that's idiocy. No, that's what I want to do. I'm free to do what I want. I'm in America. You can't even reason with people anymore. You say, why is that so dangerous? Because when it comes to our mission of preaching the gospel, the first thing someone needs to understand in order to understand their need to be saved is that they are a sinner. And if I can't convince you that what you're doing is wrong based on the standard of a holy God, I can't convince you why you need a Savior. That is why we need to continue to stand for truth. I'm not preaching this message because I want so-and-so to be in the White House because that's not where my hope is. 
Will I vote for someone who stands for these principles of morality? Yes, but only because it is through standing for these principles of morality that I have the best avenue to be able to communicate the gospel. For the sake of our country, for the sake of our families, for the sake of the future of our young ones, we must come together as the church of the living God to continue to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word regardless of how unpopular it becomes. And so long as we are trumpeting the truth, there will be those who hear it and those who respond to it and those who come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ by faith. That's why we must continue to stand. And that's what I want to encourage you with as the people of God today. And so there is an authority who gets to tell us what is right and wrong. You, the government, the Supreme Court, is not that authority. There is an authority that gets to tell us right and wrong. It's God. He has given us a system of morality where when we live within those boundaries, we can, try, we can find true satisfaction in this life. It's for our good, not for our, not for our hurt. And he has given us those stipulations to follow. And there are severe consequences when we ignore what God has given us in his word. Not only will pollute your life, it will pollute further the land we're living in today. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, the Lord said, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What is it going to take to turn things around for our country? It is going to take corporate repentance. Us turning from rejecting God's truth and turning in repentance, saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm turning back to you. You might need to give up your political affiliation to stand for truth. You might need to change the way that you live your life to stand for truth. That is what God's called us to as the church. And today, this last thing I'll say, we understand that our Acceptance before God does not come by following the rules. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that is the only way you'll ever be accepted before God. I'm not preaching a message of legalism today. I'm telling you, it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ you can be saved. But once you're saved, God puts a spirit inside of you and he says, here's how to live the Christian life. Here's my spirit to enable you to do this. And he sets you free to live as he intended you to. Understand the difference. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to come. Not agree to follow a book of rules. You need to come and realize, I'll never be good enough. I need Jesus to save me. And you need to come Christ, trust Christ as your Savior. All of us who are saved, we need to make a decision today. For the sake of our kids, we're going to continue to stand for truth in a culture that continues to try to draw the line farther to the left.